Welcome to In The Know, the Bourbon Street Shots podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Dua and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In The Know. We are joined by a very special guest. His name is Sean Coleman. He is the host of Locked On Grizzlies, and he writes for Grizzly Bears Blues, uh, the SB Nation site. We are very excited for him to join us and discuss this crazy trade that just happened earlier today. Sean, how are you doing? What is on your mind? How has this Monday been for you? Well, first off, I want to thank y'all very much for uh, for bringing me on, but I'm a bit nervous. You know, uh, over the past year, you know, the Grizzlies and Pelicans have had this rivalry, and Mason has been one of the more quote-tweeted Pelicans fans that I've seen. Let's go! Especially, <laughs> especially with local talent Anthony saying there's been some back and forth, all, all, all in good nature. So I don't know if if it's if I'm uh, if I'm supposed to be doing this or not. But all joking aside, it, it was an absolute pleasure to hear from y'all to come on. And I can't thank y'all enough for having me. Very excited for both sides on what was a, a win-win trade, in my opinion. That is- I, just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't say. I, I'm I'm flattered. I just said. Uh, I think I just heard one too many Zion fat jokes and went over and just went overboard. But um, but no. <laughs> all, all all joking aside. Yeah, re- really good to have you on. This should be fun. Thank you. Mason likes to revel in his villainy, so uh, I do like the friendly rivalry that the Mississippi River cities have going on. I mean, I think it's all tied back to. I think, you know, I wouldn't call it a rivalry before before this new era. You know, the grit and grind Grizzlies were just flat out better than the Pelicans. There wasn't really a rivalry there. But this new era when they got the one and two pick um, really kicked off something special. And it's been very interesting to watch these two teams build around uh, those two talents and, and the different approaches they have taken. And, you know, the Grizzlies have done really well uh, with, with John Moran and many would say they've made the smart moves they've they've been patient and you know despite that they've they've made the playoffs and had winning success anyway and and now once again they've traded for a top 10 pick so Sean um let me get your thoughts on on the trade itself how do you feel um Memphis made out uh what are what are you what are some key aspects of it that either took you by surprise or that really excited you Well, the thing that excited me from the Grizzlies end is the fact that, and you could see it from both ends, in my opinion, is that the perspectives, the needed perspectives of both teams were met and significantly met, right? For the Pelicans, it was the fact that they're, you know, for lack of a better word, win now, but more in the idea of wanting to make moves to really go after it in the Western Conference in the short term, it was met by getting an upgrade from Adams to Valanciunas and, of course, clearing all the cap space that they did. With the Grizzlies, it's more of a long-term approach, right? Because there is a lot of things that need to be figured out with who do you have in Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, and others on this roster, and you want time to figure that out. So what do the Grizzlies do? They go ahead and they're able to keep the focus on the future yes it is very it's unfortunate to lose Jonas Valanciunas I'm sure we'll talk about that such a wonderful personality and productive player 
but you're able to get back a player who could kind of fit his role in Steven Adams. Obviously you get some, you know, you get take on the contract of Eric Bledsoe who may or may not have a long-term future in Memphis, but the big key for the Grizzlies is the fact that they got these picks moving up from 17 to 10 from 51 to 40. And of course the Lakers pick next year, so many options for a front office that has gotten it right consistently in a creative front office to add multiple pieces of different levels of significance moving forward. So very excited. The fact that the Grizzlies were able to get assets without having to give them up. And while it cost us Jonas, the future is that much brighter for Memphis. And it's exciting to see what the front office that we have. (laughs) So, so that's an interesting point you made that I think Pelicans fans can resonate uh, will resonate with Pelicans fans in the sense that, um, you know, you're, you're talking about figuring out what you have in these young guys. And so I say that because the Pelicans just dealt with a season where they had uh, Bledsoe to, a, to an alarming degree. And even depending on who you ask, a lesser extent, Lonzo um, taking some minutes from players who they would really want to see what they have in terms of Kyra Lewis and Nikhil Alexander Walker, uh, some of these guards. And that's, so I, I, I'm kind of getting the sense of what you're saying. Obviously, the picks are the, are the big takeoff from this trade, but it kind of sounds like mo- moving away from balance units almost forces the Grizzlies' hand and, and has to, you know, they have to get more minutes to some of these guys, or maybe they don't know quite what they have in them yet, but they will. Exactly. And it's not just that, right? It's not just because you're going to have health. Like for the Grizzlies, it was injuries that kept them from seeing guys like Jaron and Brandon fully, Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. fully healthy last year. But it was also the aspect of, yeah, they're going to get more minutes, but now you've also taken the safety valve away. The reason why the right, Grizzlies right. Have, have been so good with Valanciunas as a featured piece is their paint production. And he's been the face of that. Now you take that away. You've got a philosophical change as well, where the Grizzlies know they've got to get better from shooting from three. All these assets now give them the uh, the arsenal that they need to go and get the pieces that can help them do that. So it's not just seeing Jonas go away, and now you've got the minutes going towards your young core to see to get more certainty about them. It's gaining the assets to also change the philosophy that hopefully will have a higher ceiling than the two rosters we've seen over the past two years. That was really excellently put, and I wanted to uh, dwell on some on the younger aspect of it since you, you brought it up. The Grizzlies traded for the tenth overall pick, uh, which is a good commodity to have in, in any draft, right? And uh, I've conversed with you a lot on on draft stuff. We're in a, a draft group chat um, together. I think you're probably excited for the opportunity to pick someone that high. And I asked you this in our Spotify green room, uh, but, you know, in case people missed it, I, I want to give you the opportunity to speak on who you think the Grizzlies might be targeting and uh, philosophically what you want them to do with this asset. Now that they have it, they clearly gave up a lot of flexibility to move up this high. So what are you expecting um, from this pick? So from a, roster standpoint what the Grizzlies really need is they need a true wing they need a big wing you know we we would love Brandon Ingram is is someone that y'all have who is a wonderful basketball player I know he's not perfect but a very very 
highly intriguing talent, a very good talent that is blossoming in uh, New Orleans. We want that type of potential in a wing. And so from the roster standpoint, it's a wing talent. From a skill set standpoint, it's shot creation or at least significant shooting upside. At 17, your options of finding both of the same player that you feel comfortable with Probably not that great. But now you go from 17, where it was Trey Murphy and Zaire Williams, to 10, where maybe you could talk about a Moses Moody or a Franz Wagner or somebody like that. That was the big key in doing it. So Moses Moody, Franz Wagner, if you wanted to go extreme, shot creation potential, maybe a James Boat Knight. But the other big thing is, is that you also are getting closer to that top 10 to where you could trade up, which I certainly think is a play for the Grizzlies. But that true wing shooting talent or one of the best shot creators in the draft, that was the motivation to get up to 10, in my opinion. How, how do you how do you get there? So uh, that, I saw that report, too, that the Grizzlies might not be done moving and, and want to look to go even higher. Is there a trade structure or a team in mind that you have that you feel like uh, you could – constructed a deal that makes sense uh, I mean, you probably do it with a lot of teams and you throw enough picks on the table but anything that you see that just like glare it's glaringly obvious around what, what a potential trade could look like of course yeah you can look at it at a variety of different things you know with orlando you know if they whatever they pick at five at eight could they potentially want to get you know we now have four picks over the next two years in the first round. And then between 2022 and 2024, we've got six picks in the first round. Could we use one of those to move from 10 to eight and give Orlando, who's in a full rebuild, we could do that in order to move from 10 to eight. You look at potentially seeing what we could do to maybe convert a, a, a Eric Bledsoe or a um, Stephen Adams into Buddy Heald by moving up from 10 to nine or whatever it may be there. I don't know if they'll go that extreme. But one team that I think really stick, sticks out, Mason, is Golden State. Because not only do we have these picks that could be attractive to Golden State, we have role player assets. And they Golden State really wants to find ways to be able to improve their roster currently. The Grizzlies have options that can help do that. A Tyus Jones, a Grayson Allen. I don't really know with Jonas being gone, if Kyle's in play, but you have probably two or three spots, either through future assets when it comes to draft picks or with current young but talented role players that you could use. You could pick from options on both sides of that coin to move up to two or three spots probably within seven to 10 of this draft or seven to nine of this draft. So my question to you is, you know, I, I think first of all, the Grizzlies have very quietly accumulated a, a significant amount of future picks that they can a, either use in an opportunity like this to move up and, and really bring in another core piece or B, you know, wait out the next disgruntled star. If, if their team is ready to peak and, and they're, um, you know, they're, they're in that kind of market. I, I really do think it's going to be more of option A and it seems like the Grizzlies have a lot of faith in their front office to find success in the draft because they've hit on a lot of their, their draft picks in the last couple of years. So why not have more bites at the apple? But the, the, the thing I wanted to ask you is, okay, you have this asset, maybe it's 10, maybe it's seven, maybe it's eight. Do you not feel that the player you have to select here because of all the flexibility that you've given up um, has to basically have the potential to at least become your second best player behind Ja. Like, I, I feel like, you know, my personal philosophy when it comes to the draft is like, don't, don't go for singles, um, you know, swing big. Don't try to draft players who you think might have role player level ceilings, even if they're fantastic fits, 
when you have a, a pick in the top 10, you should really be trying to go for best player available. And, and do you, I want, I'm curious about your thoughts on, on that philosophy applying to the Grizzlies here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Grizzlies have been a team that has prioritized certainty, not necessarily a floor, but certainty of multiple ways of contributing. Then they've gone potential. They want production instead of potential. Bain, Clark, Tillman, you know, those type of guys. But that's why you've seen five different names mentioned that I all think are out there. It's probably smokescreen, but in the right situation, it makes sense. I mentioned a Wagner, Moody, or Boat Knight. You know, those are guys who could become really, really good potential uh, talents. But do they have the all-around upside of a Jonathan Kaminga or a Josh Giddy? Probably not. So I feel it's going to be based off how the draft board falls. But I agree with you. This is the best pick the Grizzlies have had since John Morant. But now it's even more important because they are a team on the ups, on the upswing. So with all these assets out there, there probably is a little bit more room for risk. Why not go upside and trust the development that has shown out so well with your coaching staff to make that upside pick have a good chance of reaching its ceiling? Great point. Yeah, the- there's a player you didn't mention who I think could be a very interesting fit. He has mixed reviews on draft Twitter, but I'm personally very high on him is Alperin Shingun. I think uh, he could be a player where next to Jaron Jackson Jr. They kind of mask each other's weaknesses. On one hand, you have a player who can really shoot the ball, but he can't really defend. Uh, he can't really um, rebound it but he defends at a very high level. On the other hand, you have a, an interior player, not dissimilar to Jonas, um, can really rebound the ball, has some passing chops, and maybe, who knows, he can, he can develop a shot one day. He's 18 years old. He shoots well from the free throw line. I don't, I don't know what your personal thoughts are on Shingun, but I, for, for, for whatever reason, when I look at this trade and I look at the pieces involved giving up Jonas, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if Shingun might be the target. It could make sense, right? You know, Shingun is is a very intriguing piece that's out there. He he probably has some of the higher opinions about his pure offensive upside among these freshmen or international talents of anybody in the draft. The one thing that kind of gives me pause to that, pause to that, is that you had the peak version of not the peak, but you had a very, very productive and, and high profile version of that in Jonas with Jaron Jackson Jr. And you moved off of that, and you're not the first team that's moved off to that, off of that. The highly productive talent that's offensive, offensively consistent can rebound. But that's been moved off of because you question what it could do in high leverage and playoff situations. If you have those concerns about Shingun, then have you really changed the philosophy that you need to change in order to not only make the playoffs, but also be able to advance in the playoffs? That's the one holdup that I have with Shingun. Now, it's way too early to have this opinion or be sure it's not going to work out. But I think that the intrigue is certainly there. But I think there's a bit more pause with the position that he plays and the defensive questions about him than there may be with a true wing to go with Jaron and Jaw in the hopes that Jaron is your five in playoff situations moving forward. Uh, so uh, I have a question about, I, I, again, I'm, I'm still kind of catching up on, on all the takes on, on this trade from both sides. But one of the things I've seen come out from some Grizzlies fans who maybe ha- don't have as rosy of a view of the deal is um, what it says to John Morant or what it's, what it does for this team's playoff hopes. And as a, as a team that's, 
really made some nice strides before a lot of people anticipated and, and the Grizzlies to, to, I mean, even crack the, the, the plan uh, tournament. I mean, what, what's your perspective on, you know, how a, you know, what this tells John, the rest of the team, and then B how Memphis plays out the rest of this off season. I mean, are, are they, do you think they're going to, you know, make other moves that, that try to position them better to get back into that playoff picture? Or do you think that this is a trend that continues the rest of the off season? It's just, it's so interesting given where Memphis was this past season and, and what's happening now. I could certainly see the loss of Jonas being something that um, on the front end is frustrating because this is why I, I, I'm, I'm jealous kind of almost of, of New Orleans of getting the personality that is Jonas Valanciunas. You don't get words. You just get action and, and you get passion from Jonas. He is passionate about being a part of a roster that, you know, is going to embrace him and that he's going to embrace. There's just so much good about Jonas, both on the court and off the court. There's going to be initial frustration from the Grizzlies. But the thing about it is this, when it comes to a small market, as New Orleans knows and Memphis knows, and as we've seen be a key component of successful stretches of winning in small markets, you have to have trust between the players and the front office. Zach Kleiman, Taylor Jenkins, the coaching staff in the front office, they consistently said the focus is on the future to be a sustainable winner, and they've stuck with that. And I think in the end, Jaw, Jaron, the rest of this franchise, they clearly understand that at some point to get to where you want to get as a sustainable winner and contender, big decisions have to be made, and they're not going to be popular ones on the front end. But in the long run, they probably put you in a better position. I think that's what's going to shine through. So, yes, and it's good reason why. It's rightfully disappointing to see Jonas head to New Orleans. But I also think that it's clear to the young stars on this team, hey, we had to do this to put us in a better position. And, hey, the front office has done mostly everything right so far. Why doubt them, especially if they're sticking to their word that they've said from the beginning? You know, it's, it's so funny because the Grizzlies and Pelicans are really character foils of each other. Um, I think if you were to ask anonymously people in the Pelicans front office, if they could take the same patient approach that the Grizzlies have uh, taken, I think a lot of them would anonymously say yes. And uh, what complicates the situation is, is the urgency around Zion and, you know, the you, you've, I'm sure you've seen the reports. Maybe his family is, is a little bit upset. Regardless, there's been pressure that's being applied on that that front and I am sure it's, it's a good problem to have when you have you know a talent as good as Zion Williamson but I'm sure there are people in the Pelicans that wish that hey I wish we could have slow played this I wish we could have held on to the top 10 pick continue to build our asset base you know instead of trying to thread the needle for the past two years um, you know take on maybe take on some salaries for additional assets in, in the past I bet there are people in the Pelican front office who truly and genuinely believe that so it's going to be interesting to watch these two teams play out over the next four or five years because the end goals are the same the approaches are a little bit different and um, yeah the, it, it's going to be very fascinating what I want to shift the conversation to uh, is is the main player that's been acquired for the Pelicans here that Pelicans fan might not be very familiar with is, is Jonas Valanciunas. So um, without, you know, like I want to drill into the specifics of his game, but just like maybe a high level overview, who is he as a person? What are they getting out of him? What's his skill set? Just, yeah. What is, who is Jonas Valanciunas? Jonas Valanciunas is a reliable cog of your team 
that without being at the forefront of, you know, being featured off the court or being featured on the court, still his presence is known consistently. One of the most consistent double-double presences that are in the league. On the court, the probably the biggest strength of Jonas and why he was so valued for Memphis is the Grizzlies struggled to shoot from three. You know, y'all is, you know, who cover another team, you can easily see that. Where Jonas really made his impact was the Grizzlies struggled to shoot from three, but Jonas was so good at getting offensive rebounds and converting them and then not allowing for the other team to get offensive rebounds that he was a big reason why the Grizzlies could get a possession edge and can make up for the fact that they may not make as many threes as other teams. And it just allows for you to have that safety valve that consistently keeps you competitive. That's the thing that comes with Jonas. He's going to take care of the paint. He bring, he embraces the physicality of it. He is very skilled. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He knows what he needs to do to get those rebounds, and he knows what he's good at on the putbacks. Plus, will embrace expanding his game like he has improving shooting the three and playmaking as well. But the other big thing off the court is he's not going to – not embrace what's going on. He knows what's going on. He knows that he's, you know, like he did from Toronto to Memphis, he's aware of what's going on in New Orleans and he's going to embrace it, especially when it comes to potentially pairing up with Zion Williamson. He's going to take on that big brother role. He knows why he's being brought in. He has proof that he can do it well and he's going to be an excellent fit. Even if the skills may not gel, the personality, the mindset, and the IQ of supporting Zion and Jonas doing what he needs to do to let the Pelicans feature Zion in the best way that they can, that's where Jonas is going to add value. So um, I'm going to ask a pretty vague question, and feel free to take it whatever direction you want. Um, a lot of uh, just kind of getting this reaction from Pelicans fans on this, one of the things that I've noticed is that a hot topic is this concept of spacing. And so um, obviously Steven Adams is doing your team for the most part, no favors on, on spacing beyond being able to set a good screen here and there. Um, with, with Jonas, what's your perspective on, let's say he's about the same player he was this year in terms of three point percentage. And so that's a, a guy who shoots a, a, a good percentage, but really we're talking less than one attempt a game. So beyond some, um, major leap in his three point shooting, uh, both volume and, and maintaining accuracy, you know, what, what is, what did you find uh, from him from a spacing perspective? How did, how did Memphis really adapt to having him on the floor, maybe without Jaron Jackson, because Jaron Jackson is a guy who's going to help space the floor. So thinking about a, a front court with him and Zion, on, Zion essentially. Well, of course, like with Adams, it, it's setting the screens. So you get you had Job ja be able to get, get around on the pick and rolls to create space himself. But the other thing about it is this, is that Jonas knows how to move how to be a distraction when it comes to moving in the paint to keep if a, if an offensive player for the Grizzlies was moving around to try to find an open spot for a catch and shoot three, which we had to heavily rely on. Jonas was very cognizant of knowing how to keep the defender from having a straight line to go contend the three. And the other big thing about it is this, is that he opens up the ability for you to have open 
catch and shoot three point opportunities because he is such a presence rebounding. Like the defense has to make sure that if he is in the paint, he's not only guarded by one person because he's likely going to get one or he's likely going to need to get have one or two defenders on him to prevent him from getting an offensive rebound. It's the offensive rebounding as well as knowing how to take up space even bigger than he is where he helps out spacing. Now, you know, in terms of X's and O's, he's still not the most ideal to put next to Zion. There's going to be a lot of similarities between what Jonas or between what Steven Adams offered and what Jonas offered as a big body, but there's a lot more nuance with Jonas of, you know, Hey, he's not that big three point threat to help out with spacing, but he knows the little things that he can do to help his teammates get open for those shots, which I know both Memphis and new Orleans need as much help as possible when getting, not meaning that as an insult, it's just the characteristics of their roster. You know, it, it's funny because a lot of the strengths and even personality traits that you describe is, were why Steven Adams was brought in last year. So, you know, he could take care of the bigger players. He could rebound the hell out of the ball. He could set those screens. He could, you know, you can move him around on the floor because he's going to do all the grunt work. And he was supposed to be a teacher and, and enforcer and culture. Cultural touchstone was the word that they used. Um, it seems like Jonas is the, the evolution of that. You know, if this was like a Pokemon evolution chart, uh, it's it's harder to imagine uh, a stronger, scarier person than Steven Adams. And, and Jonas is probably not stronger, you know, like in, in, in sheer strength. But in terms of the the way he applies his physicality on the floor with, with rebounding and scoring, um, it, it just seems like a more impactful version of Adams, especially on the offensive end. So I, what I wanted to ask you is what's what's his game like? outside of the restricted area i'm not talking about you know like necessarily shooting jumpers but maybe that you know that that paint area that's right outside the restricted area does he have a little floater game in him does he have a little mid-range um i know he's going to command a lot of defensive attention which uh steven adams commanded precisely none of and that's going to be advantageous for the pelicans going forward especially in games or lineups where, where Zion Williamson isn't present or Brandon Ingram isn't present, they'll be able to lean on Jonas to really put in some offensive output. But I'm curious what you, you make of his game um, away from the basket in, in that like short mid-range area. Yeah, no, in the short mid-range area, it's certainly like typically he's going to be able to extend the ball up, you know, for a shot over his opponent but even if he cannot he can get the spacing he's got a little floater got a little hook shot got a little jumper that actually is very efficient from the 8 to 12 foot range but the other big key and this is the key difference on New Orleans in between Stephen Adams and Jonas Valanciunas is now one thing that he does is he adds a bit of balance more balance to it Zion obviously is the main cog of your offense and y'all were most successful last year correct me if I'm wrong if when you really featured the playmaking of Zion defenses are going to have enough to worry about with Zion but now if they put too much focus on Zion where Jonas really can where he can really really hurt a defense is cleaning up getting small dump passes and things like that to make quick hook shots, make quick floaters, you know, away from the basket as, as a secondary option if too much attention is being um, given to Zion. Or the other thing is, if defenses have to sit there and focus on the paint, now just imagine the space that that does allow Brandon Ingram to get on the outside or perhaps if y'all go get a Kyle Lowry or a Duncan Robinson as a secondary shooter, Jonas being a scoring option now, the difference between him and Steven Adams is that's where he does it. He doesn't have to be the primary option, but he can 
really, really um, be able to address the need of if the defense is paying too much attention to Zion, he can clean up on in the post in, a, in the dunker spot, potentially for offensive rebounds, potentially obviously for dunks, but he also can make those solid 8 to 12-foot shots on a consistent basis. There's so many different ways he can hurt you close to the basket, and he'll be able to figure out the way to feature the most in supporting Zion and Ingram that can make the offense more consistent in New Orleans. Now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can make money on Sleeper too by playing their new over under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over or under. For example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about over under on sleeper. It's the only app where I can join my buddy's contest and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download sleeper now to play their new over under game and have fun with your friends. And most importantly, make some money. Make sure you use that promo code blue wire and sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download sleeper, then use promo code blue wire. When you deposit terms and conditions apply, see sleepers terms of use for details. Scale of one to 10. How upset are you that Eric Bledsoe will reportedly not be a part of your team moving forward? So I actually, a five and, and here's why I know that Eric Bledsoe uh, for lack of a better word, w- was certainly not what many had hoped he would be when y'all got him in the Drew Holiday trade. I'm not denying that that's the truth. I actually wanted to see what Eric Bledsoe could do with Memphis under Taylor Jenkins. And the reason why is because you have a defensive presence in Bledsoe who obviously struggles from the outside when it comes to shooting. That has been the calling card of Taylor Jenkins' ability to develop players. DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, to an extent Dylan Brooks, um, Grayson Allen becoming more consistent when he came in. I really wanted to see what he could do by adding some form of shooting. Y'all may not think it's there, but see if he could work his miracle once again with Bledsoe to add what was already there. So I get it. We've been through Andre Iguodala in 2019 before. I certainly understand it's not likely that he's going to be there, but part of me wanted to see if he could be a nice reclamation project with how Taylor Jenkins has benefited similar player profiles in the past. Wow. those That's very, very high expectations in my opinion, but it would have been interesting to see. Uh, unfortunately, you guys won't uh, be able to see it. Or fortunately, at least I think that's Mason Eyes appearing. Very that's the shit we said two a year ago. So I don't blame you at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I, and I'll take y'all's word that it probably wouldn't have worked out. So at the end of the day, it probably is best um, if we part ways soon. Yeah, I do think he would look better in a, in a, a spaced out team that he has a much less role, um, you know, much less responsibilities on. So I just I don't know if the Grizzlies and Pelicans are, are that, especially if Steven's still going to be there. However, um, I did want to talk about Jonas's defense uh, a little bit. So who is he as as a defensive player? You were talking about uh, earlier that in high leverage moments, maybe, you know, he, he has some limitations. But on the whole, like wh- what is he what, what does he excel at? What doesn't he excel at? And, and what can the Pelicans expect? 
his best defensive quality about him is limiting offensive rebounds. Like it's getting rebounds when shots are missed. Yes, he can do a good job at times, maybe, you know, for a stretch of maybe a minute or two on consecutive possessions, perhaps of, you know, being able to employ drop coverage or, you know, maybe he can get a possession too of switching, but it's not going to be anything consistent. He can protect the rim at a decent rate. You know, I don't think he's going to be able to do it at the level Steven Adams did, you know, while he was in Oklahoma city, but clearly the best thing about Jonas when it comes to his defense is his ability to rebound and limiting the second chance opportunities of teams. He also has a very, does a very good job of limiting the position of other teams that rely on post presences. So that's how he will add value. The thing about it is, though, is that do you really feel that you can put him and Zion on the floor, maybe for 30 to 35 minutes in a playoff setup? And that's nothing against Zion, who obviously is going to be on the floor. But do you feel that you can play Jonas for 30 to 35 minutes in a playoff setup with the hope to advance? I just don't know. At that point, the defense probably is to the extent of making his offensive value, you know, a, a just completely wash or maybe even a net negative. So he certainly is going to be there as someone who can, you know, rebound the ball well, give you some decent rim protection, do okay at times, but a lot of times be a liability when it comes to switching. Uh, but at the end of the day, the biggest concern that you have with Jonas is when it comes to those high leverage or playoff situations, even in closing minutes, can you trust him on the court? I can't say consistently that you can, though this year, obviously, his offense certainly made it worth keeping him on the court. That that was really uh, well laid out. I appreciate you for answering that. I, I certainly don't think the Pelicans are any in any rush to make a decision on if they like the the Jonas and Zion pairing defensively for the long term um, because you know he, he is an expiring contract this year while he is extension eligible I somehow doubt that they're going to extend him sight unseen just like they did with with Steven Adams but uh, you know they, they let the situation play out they have young Jackson Hayes waiting in the wings that gives them a very different look from Jonas and then I I believe that the approach they should take is is continue to add some younger forwards who can allow you to play small as well uh so uh I actually you you made me think of a question that um that I, I had on this one and so um can you speak to any anything regarding what speaking of selling points for Stephen Adams the way we try to talk ourselves into it into it a year ago was um, the effect that Adams would have on the younger players, the younger big men on the roster. And, and I, I was kind of tongue in cheek, but I really do feel like Steven Adams had a real, had a strong impression on Jackson Hayes and was good in that regard for some of the younger big men on the team. Do you feel like Jonas kind of has the same impact uh, or did have some of the same impacts for some of the younger uh, guys on Memphis, or is that something that you feel like is maybe a little bit overblown in some cases? Is a hundred million percent too cliche to say on that? <laughs> it may be. That's a very similar calling card between Stephen Adams and Jonas Valanciunas. It's the mental aspect at first, right? They both know they're going into situations where there's not going to be immediate contention. It's still a work in progress with young rosters, but they both embrace it so well. Stephen Adams, obviously, an absolutely wonderful personality. Jonas may not speak as much, but that personality is there. The mindset of being an example for these young big men of knowing what to of knowing what to do, how to approach their craft and get better as time goes on. But the other big thing that I mentioned to, to um, Shamit earlier was that I also think that something that really should help out 
Zion especially is what's the key um, comparison between Zion and, and, and Jaron Jackson Jr.? In five combined seasons, neither one of them have gone through the season where they haven't either been out due to injury to start it or they missed the end of the season due to being injured. I think Jonas takes away, uh, takes a lot of the attention on the physical aspects of games to where less of that comes in on Zion. Jonas did a very good job of it when it came to Jaron at times, but he takes away that physical aspect of things that builds up the wear and tear on Zion on the court. And I think obviously that keeps Zion fresher. And obviously Zion was just an unstoppable force at times for like a two or three month stretch there, you know, before he hurt his finger. So it's both off the court with how he presents itself, the mentality of embracing the situation, making the most of it, but on the court, the fact that he knows how to take that physical aspect away from the star big that he's playing with it helps out on both ends so I think you're absolutely getting the same thing you had in Adams with Jonas and it's a wonderful characteristic of both players so I got I got two very fun questions to end this podcast with um the Pelicans have or the Pelicans fans have been posting Steven Adams workout videos this summer he's been taking threes and pickup games he's like working on his um, dream hooks or whatever you want to call them, but he's, he's, he's trying to expand his game, right? It's workout season. Everyone's a stretch five in the workout season. So my, I have, I have two questions. One question, who makes more threes next year, Steven Adams or Jonas Valanciunas? Well, let's see. So Willie green is the new coach of the Pelicans. I have not looked without looking at the three, the numbers when it comes to the threes, I'm not sure how Steven Adams did. And I don't know the philosophy of Willie green. I'll tell yet. you. Go I ahead. don't think Steven Adams made a single three last year. Ooh. Let me and see if he attempted it. Wait, that's a lie. That's a lie. He made one very important three last year, like from half oh, court, right? Oh, was it right? the Eve? It was, yeah. the, was it? Was it? Hold on. Hold your horses. <laughs> no, 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 sir. He went 0 for 3. Huh. He went 0 for 3. He's only made one career three, and that was the one against the Pelicans. The oh, <laughs> of course. He's made one <laughs> career three. So I think you're going to go Jonas and, and, and I'll give the upside. I'll give the advantage when it comes to coaching impact on their ability to become a stretch five to Taylor Jenkins, because of what he's done for other players with their shooting. I but don't know. Man, we get Freddie Jesus, which is Fred hey, Vincent. <laughs> hey, hey, there you go. But the other thing that I'll say is, is that I don't think Adams is going to have the same offensive usage or even the same amount of minutes that Jonas did. So I think it pretty significantly will be Jonas, especially if New Orleans wants to expand their shooting ability, which I imagine that they do, um, you know, to balance out, obviously, the impact they're going to have in the paint. I will say this, though. I, I, I know that it may not be the most ideal way of doing it. But, man, it's going to be fun to see that pairing of Zion and Jonas on the boards and attacking the paint together, and especially with the playmaking that developed of Giannis – or, excuse me, Giannis, I call him Giannis because I think that he's kind of in that mold. <laughs> Zion's decision-making on the drive to dish or make a play instead of scoring, using his threat to score as a way to open up passing lanes, that's going to be a lot of fun to pair with Jonas down in the block at times as well. That's going to be a sight to see. Well, I the, the only other question I had was – uh, you know, do you, Jonas has hovered around one three-point attempt per game. He's his whole career. I was wondering if you, you had any insight if like that might jump up to three this year or four, but, you know, I think you covered it quite nicely uh, in, in, in your previous response. 
yeah, I, I, I just don't see it, especially with a, a, where in Memphis they have, they're continuing. The, the overall philosophy change that Taylor Jenkins has made to improve the three-point approach for this Grizzlies team, there's been opportunities. There probably was two to three opportunities a game at the top of the key with Jonas, and that's the thing. You're not going to get a lot of corner threes. It's mostly above the break or top of the key um, uh, threes. But with Jonas, there were many times where he could have taken two or three shots a game but he kind of decided not to do it instead of going for a higher percentage shot. I still think that if he plays 70 games, you may get 53 point attempts. Well, I, I think that you're, you're probably absolutely right. And I think frankly, as you mentioned throughout this podcast, one of his best skills is offensive rebounding. So uh, taking him away from the basket uh, takes out a major strength of his and a major strength that the Pelicans relied on with Steven Adams, Last year, like you mentioned, the Grizzlies often won the possession battle of the Pelicans were, I think, the best overall rebounding team. I think they were like, you know, top three in each individual category. But um, I, Jonas is certainly not a step down from Steven Adams, may even be a step up. So uh, very excited for the same reasons you've outlined to see that pairing. And I'm excited to see how the Pelicans continue to add around their the roster here. But um, Sean, I appreciate you hopping on with us and, and giving us your night. And uh, you you've been delightful, man. Hey, it's it, the same can be said on my end. It's, it's always a pleasure just to get to talk basketball, but, but I can't stress it enough. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to talking with Steven Adams, you know, getting to see firsthand all the great words that are said about him. I am a huge fan of Zion. I think that something that's not talked about enough is the personality that he has such as a very good personality. I hope it works out long-term where y'all get to have him there. We get to have John. We have this back and forth for the next decade, but y'all take care of Jonas. He, he certainly deserves it. And y'all, y'all deserve him. I think that y'all are going to be very happy with not only the personality, but the production great trade for both teams. And thank y'all for the opportunity. As long as the Texas teams continue to suck including Dallas, I'm hey. all for this. <laughs> Love Luca, but I agree as well. Thank you, Sean. everyone my name is colin kelly and i have one question for you do you love fantasy football and do you want to win in 2021 then be sure to check out rotoviz overtime and all the other rotoviz podcasts with new shows dropping every day on blue wire we've got you covered for all things fantasy football subscribe to rotoviz overtime today